the heart of the Lord's day. This is the topic that we're preaching on today. As we're saying, Jesus Christ is alive. And since that moment, the Lord's day has been a weekly celebration for Christians. The Lord's day reminds us that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the grave. The Lord's day reminds us that our hope is secure in life and death in Jesus Christ. Therefore, since we're, this is a significant event for us every week as a church family, we need to understand what the heart of the Lord's Day is all about. In order to understand the Lord's Day, we need to go back in time. We've got, we got to journey back in time some here. So we're going to get in the time ship here. We're going to go back in time approximately 3,500 years ago. And we're going to be with the people of Israel, the ancient nation of Israel. And Moses, their leader, our leader, is given specific instructions from God. And there's an issue. Sin separates God from man, as we read in Psalm 95. There's an issue there. Sacrifices need to be offered for sins. So God prescribes the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. The day of atonement, the day of covering. One time a year, during the fall, one man, the high priest of Israel, after carefully observing prescribed rituals, purification rituals, putting on his priestly garments, making sure his heart is right, prepares to enter the most holy place on the planet where heaven and earth come together. The Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is where God uniquely manifested His presence with Israel. The Holy of Holies was a special room originally in the tabernacle, in the holy tent, where nobody entered but the high priest once a year. Eventually, when the temple was erected in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies would become a room, same thing, where God would manifest His presence uniquely. And there's only one person every year that could approach that type of presence with the Lord. And there was a big, thick veil that separated the outer room from the Holy of Holies. This was the emblem of our separation from God. And the whole high priest would spend significant time following carefully the prescribed rituals to make sure he's coming in a worthy manner. And what he would do is offer sacrifices and sprinkle blood onto the mercy seat, which was on on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And he would offer sacrifices and sprinkle blood to atone for the sins of Israel. He would represent the whole nation of Israel. All of that weight would rest on his shoulders as he would enter into that room. And this was part of the old covenant that God made with the people that sacrifices needed to be made in order to atone for the sins of his people. So today, we're going to learn that the old covenant was simply a mere shadow of better things to come, better things that did come. And Jesus Christ establishes that covenant, and we need to go through this to understand the weight of what we're talking about when we talk about the Lord's Day. And eventually the Lord's Day will be birthed as we talked about how Christ resurrected from the grave. So we're going to be at Hebrews chapter 10, if, you, if that's towards the end of your Bibles, this is before. If you went to James, you went too far. Philemon is uh, is the book right before that. Hebrews ten nineteen to twenty five. And as you're finding your place there in your Bibles or in your phones, your devices, the first ten chapters of Hebrews is Hebrews is establishing strong doctrine about Jesus Christ. Why Jesus is better than the old covenant? All right, ten chapters almost dis- establishing the supremacy of Christ. And then here comes a general exhortation to the, to the congregation on how we should respond since we know who Jesus Christ is. So let's rise and let's read Hebrews 10, 19 to 25. We do this, guess, to honor God's word. Because whenever we hear God's word, we're hearing from God himself out of the Bible. This is an act of holy worship. Okay, so Hebrews 10, uh, verse 19 to 25, I'll be reading from the NASB version. Therefore, brethren... Since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us 
Draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promises faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for how good you are, Lord. By the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray that you allow me to preach your word faithfully. And I pray your spirit will allow these words, your words, to be implanted into our hearts so that we love your son, Jesus Christ, more. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Verse 19 and 20 talks about how Jesus Christ establishes a much better covenant, the new covenant. The old covenant of offering sacrifices, of living to do rituals, to be right with God is no longer there anymore. And basically, in essence, it says, verse 19 says that we are able to confidently enter into the holy place. What does the holy place sound like? Does that not sound familiar, what we just talked about? The holy place is the holy of holies, where God's presence is. This is what Hebrews 9, uh, chapter 10, 19 is talking about. Unlike the high priest who didn't walk in with a lot of confidence, Jewish tradition has it that he had to have a rope tied around his waist just in case he didn't come in with the right heart because he might get struck down dead and they needed to drag his body out of the Holy of Holies. There are no ropes tied around us anymore. We are able to confidently approach God now because of the blood of Jesus Christ. We have this unprecedented access to God now. Verse 20 talks about a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. A new way, a new covenant, a new promise for us. God is made through Jesus Christ, through his blood, and through his body. Wide open is the way now. No more barrier. The the veil was torn in two when Christ was crucified on the cross, and we have direct access to the Father now. Can you imagine that? Unlike the old covenant that that had to offer the blood of bulls and goats, Jesus Christ offered his own blood and his body. The blood of bulls and goats out of Hebrews 10, 3 says it's just a mere reminder of the seriousness of sin. The blood of bulls and goats, Hebrews 10, forces can never take away sin. Never. We have a much better covenant. Jesus Christ, God himself, would offer up his own body and blood for us. And verse 21 talks about how we have a great priest over the house of God. Jesus is the great high priest. We no longer have to rely on the man to represent us. You don't look to a pastor. We don't look to some kind of a pope type figure. We don't look at to a significant Christian figure. We don't look at these people anymore. We look to Christ himself, God himself. Jesus is the great high priest. He is the better high priest. Jesus is divine and sinless. Jesus never sinned. Jesus did not have to do any purification rites to enter into the presence of God. Jesus didn't bring along a goat with him. He offered up himself to atone or pay for our sins. And guess what? He's alive. Then this is why we have the Lord's Day. This is why we gather together as a church family all around the world. All around the world, whether America or any persecuted part of the world, people are gathering, Christians are gathering because it is the Lord's day and Jesus Christ is alive. And it says right here that we have a great priest over the house of God. There's an image right there of the temple or the tabernacle. The house of God is no longer in a physical location. The house of God is no longer a physical building like the temple. God's spirit now resides in every single Christian. We make up the house of God. The people of God make up the house of God. The church, 
Ephesians chapter 2, 19 to 22 says, The church, the church, every single brother and sister, make up brick by brick the temple of God. The church, that's what we are. If you're a guest today, we're so happy that you're here. And I just want to ask this question. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Are you part of the house of God? Have you trusted in the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ willingly went to the cross, a perfect sacrifice, that God-man went to the cross to die for our sins? Do we believe this? Have you committed to following Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I will follow him. I no longer live for myself. I want to live for Christ. He is worth it. He is my hope in life and death. Have you done this? We exhort you, we encourage you, think about this. Nothing else is going to matter in the end. So as we think about this church family, 19, verse 19 to 21 really lays down the foundation for our topic today about the Lord's Day. Without 19 to 21, we don't have a Lord's Day. We don't have a foundation. So 19 to 21 is significant. But verse 22 to 25, the author of Hebrews now throws out three commands, three imperative commands and how to worship, how to approach the Lord's day. Three imperative commands, how to gather as a house of God under a great priest. So the question that we're going to ask today is this. One question, one topic here. What is the heart behind the Lord's day? What is the heart behind the Lord's day? I'm going to get right into this here now. Church family, what is the heart behind behind the Lord's Day. The heart of the Lord's Day is about the worship of Christ. Worship of Christ. Worship of Christ. Turn with me verse 22 here out of Hebrews 10. The Bible commands us, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of our faith. Let us draw near. Let us draw near. What does that mean? Let us draw now. Now notice from 19 to 20 to 21 to 22, notice the plural nature. Brethren, we have confidence. Verse 20, uh, he inaugurated for us. Verse 21, since we have a great priest. Verse 22, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, let us consider. This is plural. The author of Hebrews is talking to a group of people here. He's talking to the local church here. Whatever local church is talking about, the author of Hebrews is talking to the body, the house of God at this local church. And it says, let us draw near. Hebrews 7.19 says, a better hope, which is Christ, allows us to draw near to God. Hebrews 4.16 says, since we have a great high priest, let us draw near the throne of grace. Drawing near. Drawing near. Drawing near, in essence, means that we have a genuine, personal relationship with God. That's what this is talking about. We have a genuine, personal relationship with God. And this drawing near is in the present tense. This is important that we understand this. In the original language, this is in the present tense, meaning it's an ongoing thing. We're in a perpetual state of being in the presence of God. And Christians have direct access to God ongoing thing. So in essence, we live lives in the presence of God. And this drawing near draws upon priestly duties. And what did priests do? They offered worship. Since we're part of the household of God, we're under the great priest, the high priest Jesus Christ. We're continually Offering worship to him. Let us draw near, continually, perpetually. So you may be asking, Pastor, what is worship? Right? You might be wondering this. What is worship? I hear that word often. What is, how do we define what worship is? Well, let me give you an il- illustration here that might help. I was in my 20s, and uh, I was in the hospital room. Hospital room, and... Uh, had a lot of things going on. As we know, in your 20s, you're trying to establish your life. You got a lot of things going on. But I was in a hospital room. My dear wife was getting ready to 
give birth to one of our children. So I'm there trying to support, pray for her, encourage her, try to coach her up, encourage her. But then the doctor turns to me and says, hey, Rocky. I said, yes. Do you want to deliver the baby? <laughs> what? I said, yes, immediately. All right, so he gave me instructions. All right, wash your hands, scrub down your forearms, put this gown on, throw these gloves on. I said, okay. And I'm listening to every single word that he's saying. The nurse is in my ear. She's coaching me up and ta- listening to everything. And I'm locked in. All my senses were at a heightened state. I am completely aware nothing else mattered, and I was consumed in that moment. And whatever instructions the doctor told me, I did that exactly as I could best imagine what he's talking about. And by God's grace, it worked out. <laughs> right? They're, they're, all four are here. And so, <laughs> praise God. But in that moment, I'm caught up in wonder. And when baby comes, I'm like, my goodness, I see, you know, all that. I start breaking down in tears. I, I'm just caught up in the moment. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. Only one thing mattered in that, in that moment. I was absolutely captured by the greatness of the moment. See, worship is like this. When you have incredible regard for what is happening in front of you, worship is recognizing I'm in the presence of greatness. It could be a person, a being, or even a moment. Worship is a genuine and spontaneous response to being in the presence of greatness. And we're all worshipers, whether you're a Christian or not. We worship something or somebody. We know this. Things excite us. Things worry us. Things capture us. We think about things constantly. Could, hopefully it's about Christ. It could be about other things. We're all worshipers. But since we are Christians... We need to be mindful and recognize that we're constantly in the presence of Christ. And for Christians, worship is simply a way of life. This is how we live. Whether it's on the Lord's Day, whether it's Monday, whatever day it is, worship is a way of life. And I just want to just point out some things. What could it look like? What does it look like in the personal life? Let us draw near, the Bible says. Let us draw near. David said in Psalm 16, 8, Psalm 16, 8, I have set the Lord continually before me. He recognized I am in the presence of Yahweh, a presence of God constantly. I could never escape him. Recognizing that we're in the presence of the living God dominates our words and our actions. You know this. You consider God. What does he think? How am I speaking? How am I acting? All these things matter. This is worship. But one especially lives in the presence of God. Hear me now. One especially lives in the presence of God when our thought life is dominated by the presence of God. Why do I say that? Why do I say that? Think, church family, why are our thoughts even let us know where our worship is at more than even what we say or what we do? David in, says again in Psalm 1914, Psalm 1914, let the words of my mouth, and what does he say? And the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Why, are, why is our thought life at a heightened place? Well, because people can see our actions. People could hear our words. We could be doing it for different reasons. But only God can see and hear our thoughts. Church family, this is where worship is at. This is the altar of worship right here. In our minds. What are we thinking about in the day? What are we thinking about at night? What are we thinking about as we're driving to work? What are we thinking about as we're with our spouse? What are we thinking about? As we turn on the radio and start listening to music, where does our heart go to? That is worship. Every unclean thought, are we fighting is, Lord, I don't want to think this way. 
Lord, save me from this temptation. I have this memory from my past that's haunting me right now. I don't want to live there. Lord, why do I keep thinking about my own glory and being lifted up? Help me, Lord. That's worship. Church family, you could fool your spouse. You could fool your children, your best friends. You could act and speak in a certain way where nobody knows better. Oh, what a godly man. What a godly woman. But the thought life is where worship is offered continually. Now, church family, I understand. Uh, As I went through that dialogue, that's my own thoughts that I just shared with you. I'm not thinking about anybody else but myself there. I know that my thought life isn't 100% pure. However, the Lord desires a genuine thought life. Are we constantly engaging that battle, constantly with the Lord? Lord, I know this is worship to you. I have to think right. I want to think right. I can't fool you. You see everything. You know everything. You're recording everything. My thought life. You see, church family, before we could talk about corporate worship and the Lord's Day worship, we need to understand where are we at privately and personally before we even enter the collective body here on the Lord's Day. The thought life, church family. This is where you have to be vigilant about our sin in our minds and our hearts constantly, confessing them to other brothers and sisters. Say, I need prayer. I'm struggling in this area. I've struggled in this area forever. I need help. Thought life. This is where the altar of worship is taking place in either bad incense or good, good aromas floating up to heaven now. Thought life. But as I said, I believe this exhortation out of Hebrews is talking about in a corporate sense, let us draw near, let us draw near, let us draw near. What about corporate worship life, the Lord's Day? And the reason why we talked about the Lord's Day is because Christ resurrected from the grave. It is a special day. It is a unique day. Although every moment is an opportunity to worship God, this is unique. Why is this unique? Well, it's unique because once a week for about an hour, hour and a half, we gather as a church family. We can worship constantly, and we are called to worship constantly, whether we're alone, whether we're a smaller group of Christians. Now we have potentially the whole group of Christians together, the Lord's Day. And we get to come together as a church family. And how do we worship Christ well, through corporate prayer, you've seen our leaders lead us in different types of prayers. Corporate praise or singing together. Certainly you could sing alone in the shower, in the car, at home. But this is unique where we get to hear one another sing to the Lord. We're able to observe ordinances such as communion like we're going to do. And we're going to observe baptism in a few weeks. Exciting things. And we get to experience that and together together. We get to hear from God together through scripture reading. Thank you, Sister Betty. We get to hear from God through the preaching of his word together. Certainly we could listen to this later on. Certainly we could listen to our favorite preachers on on the app or at home, but you're alone. This is where we're hearing the word of God that's been prepared for this specific church during this specific time. This is special. And the Bible says this, that our Lord requires a certain type of worship. Let us draw near with what? What does the Bible say in verse 22? Let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith. God desires a genuine heart of worship, a heart that genuinely believes in Jesus Christ, a heart that's genuinely submitted to Christ, a heart that genuinely believes that Jesus Christ is our high priest, that Jesus Christ is enough, that Jesus Christ is the greatest treasure of all, that Jesus Christ consumes me. This is a type of worship that our Lord requires and demands and deserves. 
that we're confident of the promises of Christ, knowing that he has sprinkled us, our hearts clean from an evil conscience and washed our bodies clean. In essence, what that's talking about, that Christ has done a work in our hearts, and eventually there's an external manifestation of that. We start living more sanctified lives. External. It always starts internal, then works outwards. Now there's a warning that uh, our Lord gives. In Matthew uh, 15, Matthew 15, 8 and 9, Jesus Christ confronts some religious rulers who are basically putting on a show. It became an opportunity to hear attaboys from, the, from their fellow Jews. And these religious rulers are just putting on a show. Here I am, doing and carrying out things in a mindless way. Let me, let me read this for us. Matthew 15, 8. The Lord, let me back up to verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you. Isaiah 29, 13. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is, the heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship. Worthless worship, vain worship. This is what we call mindless, heartless routine. And I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm just coming along because I'm supposed to. God knows the heart. God knows the heart. Let me read out of Isaiah 29, 13. Let me read out of Isaiah 29, 13 to get the original saying here. Isaiah 29, 13 says something very similar. Then the Lord said, because his people draw near, there's that word again, draw near with their words and honor me with their lips, with their lip service, but they've removed their hearts far from me. And their reverence for me consists of tradition learned by rote. Just doing man's routines, just going along with it because I'm supposed to. Perhaps we grew up in a Christian home. That's all you know. On Sunday, praise God, you were brought up to observe the Lord's Day. That's great. That's great. But what is the heart behind it? See, our Lord is making it very clear out of Hebrews that he desires a sincere heart. There is no cruise control worship that God accepts. No cruise control worship. Let me ask a question. Do we enter the Lord's Day with great expectations? Do you wake up in the morning on Sunday and go, yes, it's the Lord's Day. I can't wait to hang out and worship with my fellow brothers and sisters. I can't wait to hear from God through the reading of Scripture and through the preaching of His Word. I can't wait to engage with God. Do we come with that type of expectation? Like, yes, I can't wait. This is the Lord's Day. You wake up in the house and say, hey, guys, wake up. It's the Lord's Day, men. No, no cruise control worship, guys. Are we fully present? Are we, is our, our hearts prayed up to talk to God through corporate prayer? Are our hearts ready to sing for God through corporate praise? Singing time is not just, okay, let me warm up to hear the sermon. This is a time, we're on now. It's time to live, lift up praises to Christ. We should be here early, ready to go. When the call to worship is happening, we should be ready, like, let's go, let's get this thing going. I can't wait to sing to the Lord with one another. Oh, we locked in to hear from God. Oh, we locked in to hear from God out of this pulpit. We get to hear from God. Through the preaching of his word. This takes an intentionality. We need to be intentional about this, brothers and sisters. We have to get our hearts right. You got to get your mind right to be able to engage in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. And the clearest manifestation of hearing from God is through the, his word. Let me give you an example of sincere yet wrong type of worship. Let me take you back, not 3,500 years ago, but how about three and a half years ago? I was on a plane headed east, I think, and somehow ended up in Israel. We were on an Israel trip. And one of the riveting moments of, of that trip, for those of us who went, we remember, we went to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is an incredible city. But the most fascinating part of that trip when we got to Jerusalem was when we got to the Temple Mount. 
And those of us who've been there, you, you know where I'm going. At the wailing wall, you have the men on the left and the women on the right. They're separated. But the intense level of worship is taking place. People are praying and bowing for hours and hours, facing a wall. And us, people from California or Washington, we show up like, whoa, this is intense. I've never seen this before. They're praying. They're wearing their clothes. They're wearing their garments, their, their shawls, and they're praying hard. I'm like, wow. That was sincere worship taking place. Zealous worship taking place. And as we learned, why, why are they doing this? Why, why are we doing this? The idea is this, that they felt that that was the closest that they get to God. Because that wall and the mount is now occupied uh, by an Islamic mosque, so they can't go there. But that wall is the closest vicinity to the Holy of Holies where it was. Therefore, by praying in a physical location, I am going to be heard more by God. Sincere, but wrong worship. It's more than the fact that we have to be sincere now, brothers and sisters. We need to know worship in spirit and truth, the Bible says. That's why when we come to the Lord's Day, you're going to hear about preaching that tells us about Christ, that tells us about who He is. This is important. I was at a um, workshop yesterday put on by Pastor Dan for on biblical counseling. It's a phenomenal way. The guest speaker, Sister Jen from Lighthouse Community Church in Torrance, and she said a quote that really captured me. She quoted A.W. Tozer, a, a, a theologian. A.W. Tozer said this, What comes to mind, to, into our minds, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So when you think about God, what comes to mind? That is the most important thing about you. Because whatever and however you see God is going to shape your attitude, shape your hopes, shape your words, shape your actions, shape the meditations of your heart. That's why we make a huge emphasis on the word. Because this is the only way that we know God. Whenever we hear God's word preached or read, that is the clearest manifestation of who God is. Because you could sit there and imagine God in your own ways, and if you have a wrong thought of God, you're not worshiping God. You're worshiping a different type of God. You see the seriousness of this. We need to be locked in so that we're able to hear from God. Now, corporate worship was critical for the first century Jews. Critical, absolutely critical. There was persecution ramping up. Persecution was ramping up. A reality for the Jewish Christians back then, as it may be for some today. As they broke away from Judaism, what happened was they were being ostracized. They were, they were being canceled out of their community. The cancel culture was alive back then too. They are being canceled out of their Jewish community and, and losing their Jewish heritage. They are suffering criticism, economic loss, suffering imprisonment, suffering abandonment from their families. It was a serious cost to be a Christian as a Jew in the first century. So many of the Jewish Christians or professing Christians resorted to isolation. They, they withdrew. They started to withdraw. They started to withdraw to hoping perhaps to preserve some of their old heritage along with their Christian identity. And some began to waver in their faith. Which brings us to our next exhortation by the author of Hebrews. Second point is this. The heart of the Lord's Day is about the confession of Christ. Confession of Christ. It's about the confession of Christ. Verse 23 of Hebrews 10 says, Let us, there it is again, plural, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. This is an imperative command to persevere. The author of Hebrews recognized, whoa, people are falling off. People are falling off. They're falling off. Life is getting too hard. They're denying the faith. They're walking away from the faith. They're walking away from the brotherhood and sisterhood. They're falling out. And the author says, hold on. Hang in there. Hang in there. Persevere. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Do not get tossed to and fro, back and forth. Do I believe? I don't believe. I do believe. I don't believe. Believe 
the author is saying. Now, holding fast is not about necessarily how much grit I have or how much uh, toughness I could muster up in my own mind or heart. But holding fast is a fruit of believing who is going to guarantee the promises. Look at verse 23 at the end. For he who promised is faithful. This is the key, Hebrews 6, 18. I'm going to rattle off a bunch of verses that's going to resonate with you. Same theme. Hebrews 6, 18 says this, it is impossible for God to lie. 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, God is faithful. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24 says, faithful is he who calls you. 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says, the Lord is faithful. You get the theme here? Titus 1, 2 says, God cannot lie who promised the hope of eternal life. See, our perseverance isn't dependent upon our toughness or our own grit that we could muster up in general. Okay, I'm going to hang in there. But it's completely dependent upon knowing that God is faithful. It's not about us. It's not about us. It's not about us. Never been about us. And so the most important thing is to know God. And this is why we come together on the Lord's Day. The more we know God, the more we believe in him. The more we believe in him, the more steadfast we can be in our faith. See, church family, why did the author of Hebrews tell the people to gather when they're starting to scatter? When they're starting to say, hey, gathering on the Lord is kind of optional. It's not convenient for me anymore. It's because we could remind each other corporately that as I look around in this room, the majority of, of us believe this. I'm not alone. I'm part of a church family that believes in the same things. Yes, um, we're glad that you're here. And after service, I would love to talk to you. One thing I would love to ask you is, do you see Christ in our service is Christ dominating our service, whether how we sing, we're singing distinctly Christian songs, our address is about Christ through the sermon. See, Jesus Christ is our foundation guest. We like to say we are about Christ. He's our foundation. He's our life. This is who we worship. This is why we're here. And we aim to confess Christ in, in our every service that we have here together. Corporate worship, the Lord's day, to confess Jesus Christ, our hope in life and death. We even hear testimonies at times, how people are becoming more Christ-like. Even in our prayers, our corporate prayers, we're praying in Jesus' name, in Christ's name. In our preaching, our aim is to preach Christ. We preach Christ. Why? Like I said, to remind one another of our confession of Christ. Church family, things are going to ramp up here. Things are starting to ramp up already. You could feel it. You could feel the, the, the tension between Christians and just the secular world in our country. Things are going to get tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter. This is important that we remind ourselves this, as a group. That you're not alone. We're not alone. I'm not alone. Because when you leave these, these doors and get back home, get back to school, get back to work, get back to your own thoughts and to your own life, you need to remember what we remind each other of on the Lord's Day. Perhaps you're thinking to yourself, you know, yes, I want more respect. But something inside you needs to say, but Jesus is enough. Yes, I want a better marriage. Something inside screams to you, Jesus is enough. Yes, I want to have better relationships, but Jesus is enough. Yes, I want to be healthier physically. Yes, but Jesus is enough. See, the, the point of these confessions that we make publicly here is so, so there's echoes in your mind and our hearts when we separate. We want to be faithful without this. So when we do face opposition, when we face various trials, we want to know that Jesus is in us so that we can hold fast. This is critical that we remind each other of this fact. We're not alone in this. 
it's clear that uh, the Lord's Day is vital for our spiritual health, particularly during these days. I'm hearing more about depression and isolation, uh, more thoughts of various trials and mental trials and spiritual trials. Isolation. Isn't that not what Satan wants from us, to be isolated from one another, from other Christians particularly? We need to be together. We need to get gathered together on the Lord's Day for our own spiritual health. But the Lord's Day is not only about me. Our third point is this. The heart of the Lord's Day is about the body of Christ. It's about the body of Christ. Verse 24 says this. Hebrews 10, 24 says, Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. You see that, church family? The author of Hebrews says how to stimulate others to become more like Christ. Loving good deeds. What is more distinct than being a loving person? Someone who loves Christ and someone who loves others is distinctly Christian. And we know that love is an action. How if you genuinely love, it leads to good deeds. This is talking about becoming Christ-like. How are we to stimulate one another to become more Christ-like in our gatherings? Well, verse 25 says this. It clearly says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. The Bible says to gather physically. Let's get together to stimulate one another to become more like Christ. This is important now. I've had a concern, and, and many pastors in my in my circles have had this concern with online services. Online services and I'm so grateful for the time that we had because it served a great purpose. It certainly did for months and months. It served a wonderful purpose to help us kind of stay connected. And even currently, our leadership is extremely grateful for online capabilities, particularly for those with undergoing extreme physical situations. We understand. However, online service was never meant to be a substitute for the gathering of the saints. Never, never. That was for now. That was for now. And I've heard things as I perhaps talk to people, trying to encourage them to gather as God's people, things such as, I get all the encouragement that I need through the online service, through the app. I still get to sing. I still get to hear the testimonies. I feel connected to what's going on with people. I still get to hear the sermons but look what it says in, ver- in verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Verse 25 in the middle says, but encouraging one another. Encouraging, stimulating. Stimulating means, is in, the, in the original language, means to provoke, to stir up, to spur on, to challenge even. This is a strong word. Encourage means, in the original language, carries a meaning of urge, implore, exhort. Let's go. These are strong words here. This is not a, a casual sort of a thing now. This is like, let's go. Let's get each other going here. This is a significant exhortation here. Strong words by the author of Hebrews. We cannot do this type of exhorting. We can't do this type of uh, stimulation or, and provoking apart. It doesn't work online. You can't chat enough to get, it, get each other exhorted to love and good deeds. That doesn't work. We must come together as a church family. And this is why, because we believe we see a fuller picture of Jesus Christ when we have the gathering of the saints. Not any of us are perfect. We're we're all of us in the sanctification process. And and, and there's four more opportunities to stimulate and encourage to love and good deeds through the, through the preaching of the word, through fellowship Sunday, through uh, to observing the ordinances. We have very formal things that we do together. Okay, we understand that. And prayer, corporate prayers, and being able to receive prayer uh, after the service, we have those things. But really, what really stirs me up, guys, and I think you can resonate with what I'm saying, is when I see Evergreen Church examples walking around me on the Lord's day, I show up and I see people here already setting up and serving, practicing like, wow, these people are here early. I see those in physical pain and going through physical trials showing up on the Lord's day. I know they don't feel well. I know they don't feel 100%, but they're here like, wow. I see sister like Mandy Terrasaw just loving and devoted constantly week after week after week. 
a while. I see young fathers trying to take care of their young children, trying to figure it out. Like, that's just, this is awesome. You know what that does to me? It provokes me, it challenges me, exhorts me to be more Christ-like. You can't do this online. You can't see the hallways. You can't see each other. You can't understand what it's like unless you're here. Very simple. And I know you can think of many of these examples as well. The Lord's Day. It makes perfect sense. It's very practical. And this is how we serve one another. We have formal ministries, or as Pastor Marco talked about, where we're ministering God's word. We're emphasizing fellowship on the Lord's Day. We're emphasizing commitment with communion today. We're emphasizing prayer as we do corporate prayer, and we're able to offer prayer. And ho- But the hope is this. It doesn't stop at the formal level. That on the Lord's Day, it bleeds into the informal level where we're talking about, hey, did, look what I learned in my ACE class this week. Hey, did you hear what pastor talked about from the sermon? Did you, do you have a better understanding of what worship is like? Oh, hey, can I pray for you? You're sharing what's going on. Hey, let me just pray for you. Don't just say, okay, I'll pray for you and go home. Pray for them then and there. If, if, if you're like me, sometimes I forget. Pray for them there informal ministry of the word, fellowship, commitment, prayer. Commitment where we could talk to each other about certain struggles, our thought life that we talked about. Perhaps our altar isn't putting off good incense and we want to take that to the light and you want to talk to another brother or sister about that. What a great opportunity on the Lord's day. On the Lord's day. You see, church family, the Lord's day isn't necessarily about just me. It's really about Christ. It's about worshiping Christ. And it's about his body. Really, that's what it comes down to. In in essence, the thought needs to come into your mind as if you're thinking about missing football practice or thinking about skipping down to work. Man, I can't let my coworkers down. I can't let my teammates down. I got to show up. I don't feel great. Things are a little inconvenient, but I got to be there for my teammates. The Lord's Day is the same thing. I got to be there for my brothers and sisters. I may not be performing a a formal service, but just your mere presence stimulates one another to love and good deeds. You got to believe that. If you're in Christ, you have to believe that as the Spirit of God supernaturally is working in you and all of us and knitting our hearts together. It's a supernatural thing as we gather together. This isn't just a practical thing. This is a supernatural event that's taking place right now. The Lord's Day. And look what it says in verse 25 here. We'll end up here. But encouraging one another... And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Wow. Everything points to the fact that the end is coming. Everything. Things are changing. You know this. Every day is a step closer to the day we see Christ, to that day. And I believe we're in particularly a transitory time where things are being crystallized and shaped right now. So whatever habits you form, now hear me now, church, this is very important. Whatever habits that you form right now or it's kind of calm is where you're going to go to when things get really hard. Because if you're not committed to these things and these values right now when it's fairly calm, it's, it's fairly calm. But when things start ramping up, I promise you, you're going to go to where you've been when it's been calm. God has given us an opportunity to strengthen one another right now when it's calm. So when the storm hits, and it's going to hit, we've been there already. And we've been recognizing and meditating that God is faithful. Amen? That's what it's about. And what a privilege it is to be part of Evergreen Church. This is a phenomenal church family. I know we want to be faithful to our Lord. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for uh, this word that you have for us about the Lord's Day. Thank you for the faithful Christians that the author of Hebrews was writing to. Father, we thank you that you give us a better covenant. Not a covenant of works, not a covenant of blood of bulls and goats and rams, but a covenant that's secure in your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray, Lord, that we're not exhorted to legalism, but this prioritization of the Lord's Day is the most natural thing that we could think of doing because we want to be with family. We want to be with our spiritual brothers and sisters. We want to be galvanized and encourage one another, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will see you as bigger and everything else is small. Father, I pray, Lord, that we will have a right view of you through your scriptures, Lord. And if there's any wrong ways of thinking that we have about you, Lord, although how sincere we may be, I pray, Lord, that we will submit to your word. We would seek to understand you through your written word, through the revelation that you provide through your word. And, Lord, I just pray that you will do this so that we would trust you more, Lord. Father, you are faithful, as you say. You never leave us nor forsake us. We thank you, Lord, that no matter what, you are with us. And so, Father, whatever longings that we have in our hearts, I pray, Lord, that everything will be about worshiping you, Lord, because we see that we are living in your presence moment by moment by moment. And so, Father God, I pray, Lord, it starts in our hearts and our minds, what we think about, what we meditate on. Father, I pray your spirit will prompt us to prayer. Your spirit will prompt us to your word. Your spirit will prompt us to talking to other brothers and sisters about you. Lord, I pray that things of this world, music, entertainment, although some might be okay, will kind of leave us dissatisfied. That we would yearn for you, Lord. We would want things about you. So, Father God, I pray you would do the spiritual, supernatural work in us. And help us to really be focused on you every moment of our lives. Not perfectly, we understand we're still battling the flesh, but genuinely, Lord. Help us to be genuine brothers and sisters before you, Lord. Knowing that your eyes are the eyes that matter. Knowing that if we are right in your eyes, we'll be right with man and, and woman, Lord. So, Father God, I pray we'll be just absolutely consumed by your son, Jesus Christ. So thank you, Father, for your goodness, your grace. You are so faithful. We love you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.